0: Is Ellis Marsalis on the piano and his son Winton on the trumpet? Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. And it is Thursday, April the 2nd, 2020. You are listening to a tune called The Seductress. And I play this... Because last night, sadly, the jazz legend, Ellis Marsalis, passed away at the age of 86. And it was due to complications from the coronavirus. Ellis Marsalis was one of the jazz greats. And had the great skill and talent and ability and everything else. And was, for many years, one of the biggest names in jazz. And he, of course, was the father of six sons... Four of whom went into jazz, two of whom, of course, are absolute legends in it in their own right Branford Marsalis and, of course, Winton Marsalis, whom you heard just there. Winton Marsalis, of course, runs jazz at Lincoln Center, he is the director of jazz at Lincoln Center. He is the go-to man and the guy in charge, and just under well, just over a year ago now, it was back in November of two thousand and eighteen I had occasion to actually visit jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City and go to Dizzy's club, I believe is what it was called is called at the Jazz at Lincoln Center. And on that night, it just so happened that Ellis Marsalis was there playing with his uh, uh, as part of the Ellis Marsalis Quartet, as I remember. And there he was. I was sitting in the front row area right by the bar or not by the bar, but right near the bar um, and had occasion to see him. I was just maybe, what, 30 feet away from him, if that, at his piano I believe it was a Steinway and Sons or it may have been a Yamaha and he sat there and he just played and played and played and he had his uh, the rest of his quartet as well who were very good and he looked great he looked really great as he does actually on the cover of that album which the seductress comes from the seductress comes from a Winton Marsalis album, which is actually called Standard Time Volume 3, which is one of my favorite Winton Marsalis albums, and its subtitle is The Resolution of Romance. Beautiful album from 1990. And that track, by the way, um, was one of my favorites on that album, still is, and is actually featured that very track in Spike Lee's film Jungle Fever from 1991. But back in November of 2018, I got occasion to see Ellis Marsalis. And it was a wonderful evening, a very beautiful uh, concert, uh, a set rather, uh, really good stuff from him. And so, you know, it really um, is very sad to know that he's no longer with us. Ellis Marsalis again one of the great trailblazers in jazz and has left a legacy of great music, fine albums, a lot of influences, and still uh, many of his sons who are into jazz and who are still doing their thing after all these years in their own right. Delafeo La Feo also, someone I should mention, who is also uh, a fine jazz musician as, of course, are Wynton Marsalis and Branford as well, and the other Marsalises who are involved in jazz. And my condolences to the family of Ellis Marsalis and to the Marsalis family at large on their loss. My deepest, most profound and heartfelt, sincere condolences on your loss of uh, one of the all-time great musicians, one of the wise elders and one of the most uh, naturally attired jazz musicians as well. On top of that, Ellis Marsalis passing away yesterday at the age of 86 due to complications with the Corona virus. So just a couple of things before I get into what I really wanted to opine on and talk about on this edition. There were a number of things over the last, I guess, 12 hours that have come out, including the job claim numbers here in the United States. Now, last week, some 3.3 million people filed for unemployment claims and the new number came out. Today, and it turns out that double that number filed for unemployment claims over the last seven days. Six point six million people. An astonishing record number, and it's gonna just keep going, unfortunately. And on Twitter at the Popcorn R E E L I tweeted. If it was 3.3 last week, 6.6 million this week, will it be 9.9 million next week? And my goodness me, it, it's doubling every week. Although, if you doubled 6.6 million, you would not get 9.9 million. <laughs> and you know, it's going up. <laughs> it's going up is what I'm saying. Um, and it's going to go up some more. So that's one number. <sighs> the other number is, did you do your census? I mean, it's probably too late now, but the census deadline was yesterday, April 1st. And apparently, I don't know if there are any extensions, but if there are, please take and make use of them. The census is something that takes only five minutes at most to fill out if you are doing it online. It's real easy. It took me probably at most three minutes to fill out. Just a series of very quick questions to answer. It's done securely online, and it's really very, very simple. So that is something you should do if there is an extension, if not, well, You missed your chance. The census is a very important thing, I should add, because the census really does count. And what your answers are determine what kind of resources your area gets allocated, what resources the government allocates to your area, and also for the purposes of voting, how districts are looked at, redrawn, everything else. So I would advise you if there is some kind of extension and I'm not sure whether there is because it was very clear yesterday that the deadline was April 1st. If there are any extensions, then please take advantage and fill this thing out. Uh, You really should. It's very important actually. Once every 10 years. And finally... Sometimes I talk about celebrities saying things or not saying things and sometimes astutely uh, making points and then other times not so much. Well, I think we had a case of the latter category yesterday, Whoopi Goldberg and Alyssa Milano. Now, I respect them both. There are times I agree with them and there are times I do not. And uh, yesterday, Whoopi Goldberg on The View her show that's been running now for quite a few years and I think it a lot of times it's been a very good show I think sometimes it's been a show where it's you know you see you get to see four or five women opining about news of the day about politics and having some very good thought provoking illuminating and great discussions and then there are times where it develops into a mini food fight. We've seen this with Meghan McCain, who's been on there in the past, and Elizabeth Hasselback, that's been on there in the past. And then they've gotten into it and with Whoopi or Joy Behar. Or, you know, you've had Whoopi and Barbara Walters get into it at times. Barbara Walters, of course, is no longer, shouldn't say of course, but Barbara Walters is no longer, she's been long off of that show. And so really... You've got the, the main three people now who do that show are Sonny Hostin and uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Jay, Joy Behar. And so Whoopi Goldberg had Bernie Sanders, the senator, who is, of course, a Democratic presidential candidate. One of the two remaining ones in this really now strange election season, election year. And so she's saying things to him like, well, you know, you took a long, long time to drop out of the race against Hillary to back Hillary Clinton. And of course, he did not take a long, long time to drop out of the 2016 race. There is always a period of time where a candidate transitions from conceding his or her place in a contest and then going out to campaign for them. Then that has to be coordinated. Then schedules have to be looked at. Then all of these things have to happen. So, Whoopi Goldberg, I think, showing... Um, just quite frankly, a, a lack of information, just not accurate information about Bernie. Bernie Sanders campaigned for Elizabeth, Elizabeth, for Hillary Clinton, more often than any other surrogate for Hillary Clinton did, including her husband. So when at the point that Bernie Sanders campaigned between that time, which was sometime in July or early August, I think it was, I forget which. May have been late July. Um, Someone can correct me. But Bernie Sanders campaigned aggressively for Hillary Clinton and did so in over 20 different states in this country. So I just wanted to say that that is something that Whoopi Goldberg just did not get accurate and it, of course, is part of the continuing attack Bernie parade that has been going on now for a number of years, but particularly since um, the turn of the calendar year here in 2020. Then you had Alyssa Milano, who is very much a uh, an activist, someone who is, I think, part of the Me Too movement, although her silence on Joe Biden and the accusations against him that were made by and that have been made by Tara Reid, um, the rape allegations that she made against Joe Biden. Um, she has been very, very quiet about that, at least to the as, as most recently as I looked at her Twitter page and any statements at all, she has not really said anything about Joe Biden's about the allegations these are very strong, serious ones, and I do believe Tara Reid have said that many times. So the point that Alyssa Milano was making on social media, on Twitter in particular, was that Joe Biden was the steady hand. Um, she tweeted something that, uh, that in so many words said that Bernie Sanders was being bullshit, was bullshit for not jumping, getting out of the race. Um, And she alluded to and referenced the Whoopi Goldberg video uh, of The View with Bernie on it and said that, you know, this is pure bullshit from a politician not wanting to drop out of the race. Those are her words. She used the word bullshit in her tweet. And so that got people, some people, upset. Marianne Williamson, who, of course, endorses Bernie Sanders and was a presidential candidate herself up until early January of this year when she suspended her campaign... Said no, the the bullshit here is not being engaged in by Bernie, and you know she's right. You know it, it's being engaged in obviously by Whoopi Goldberg, and that's the point that Marianne Williamson was making, and Alyssa Milano was calling Bernie the uh, Biden the steady hand, and Biden is not a steady hand. Biden has a lot of issues. His campaign has sputtered. So far, and of course, he has been hiding the campaign has hidden Joe Biden and hidden him quite well up until this point. And he has not had to really answer for anything. There was some criticism of him in August and September, October and November. Briefly last year, some of it, most of it was to do with his faculties. And then in April of last year, when the allegations came out against him from several women that he had touched in inappropriate ways, rubbed down their arms and shoulders as if he was massaging them and doing it in public in full view of the camera. And in 2016, rubbing the forehead of a woman with his own forehead while at the Academy Awards after the ceremony had ended, the uh, show. There's a photo of it, and it's, it's easily searchable online to find. And several women, eight or nine of them, have come out, had come out in 2019, around the time that Joe Biden launched his campaign to say, look, you know, this is really inappropriate and uncomfortable. Lucy Flores, who herself was a politician in Nevada, uh, or certainly a candidate in, in Nevada, and she can complained about the same thing, and she got a lot of heat from people. So, you know, and there are a lot of other women that said, you know, Joe Biden's doing this, Joe Biden is uh, very inappropriate, and he is. I've seen the videos of these accounts, I've read them, and they are very inappropriate. And Joe Biden had to put out a statement early on in his campaign, before he even really officially announced. And I don't think that this guy has really learned his lesson. He's not been vetted at all. So I would say to uh, Alyssa Milano to really look at Joe Biden and his record. I have, and I tweeted to her, and I said to her, I recommend that you read a book called Yesterday's Man. And it is written by Branko Markatich. And let me spell that for you. His first name is B-R-A-N as in Nancy, K as in kick, O, Branko. His last name is Markatich, M as in Mike, A-R-C as in cat, E-T as in Thomas, I-C as in cat, Markatich. Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden. I recommend that you read that book. And so I said that to Alyssa Milano on Twitter yesterday. So, I mean, all of this is to say, look, I think that when we have disagreements with people, and I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, and I think that it is, the path for him is near, not impossible, but near impossible. He will have to win 60 to 70% of every state now. Um, to get himself in front again from Joe Biden. So the path for Bernie is is very difficult. And he claims that he has a narrow path. He said so to Andrea Mitchell. Um, we'll see about that. We'll see about his path. Uh, and I think that he has less than a 10 or 20% chance. Obviously, I said 70%. Um, but I sixty seventy percent. But I think his chances are really realistically about ten percent, and so I don't think that Bernie should be. And I changed my course on this because we had this ca- this pandemic come along. So I don't think Bernie should be dropping out just yet. Don't forget there are at least fifteen states that have delayed their primaries, and they need to be heard from. We don't need the DNC telling anybody that. Someone should drop out when there's still twenty plus states that have not registered a vote here yet, and Biden is still some seven hundred or so delegates away that's still those that's still at least what ten states, if not more, and don't forget Bernie's not going to get zero per cent in all of those states, so. Again, this is going to be something that does go into the summer. And the convention, there's no chance of an actual physical convention being held this summer. So this thing's going to go on for a bit longer. So even I am having to reassess what I wrote back in, what was it, February or early March when I said, bye bye Bernie. And I even did an episode of this podcast on it. And I am not going to delete it. But in that, I did say, in that time, I said, look, I think Bernie's going to have to consider his position here and, and and make some decisions about his campaign and pretty much exit the race. Now, of course, you know, this pandemic now has become very, very serious to the United States. And, of course, at the time I said this, you know, and as I said, that Bernie should probably look at exiting... Things had not really taken off here in the United States yet. Um, There were some cancellations of rallies, but things really hadn't taken off yet. And then, bingo, after that, I think around March 10th, when it was clear that Bernie was not gaining any momentum, and Biden was, that Bernie's time was probably going to be up for this campaign, but... This pandemic has come along and thrown that all up in the air. So we'll see. I I will be talking about this in more detail. But I want to get to another topic now, the main one, and I will get to it. It's about infrastructure and where we are in this country. I'll be right back. The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting and it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvellous stuff, marvellous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with the Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. city blues make me wanna holler and Marvin Gaye by the way back on April the 1st years ago in the 1980s was found tragically shot dead at the home of Marvin Gaye senior who had shot him and killed him during a domestic dispute Marvin Gaye died on April the 1st I believe it was 1984 or 5, or whenever it was. It was really shocking, very, very shocking. He was just 44 years old, and so Marvin Gaye continues to live on, and, and that's one of his most iconic songs, along with, of course, What's Going On, and I heard it through The Grapevine and many, many others. Inner City Blues, Marvin Gaye. Now, look, I wanted to talk about infrastructure and infrastructure is the real elephant in the room now uh, with this pandemic that has really exposed a lot of things in the United States. Now, infrastructure is a big, big thing. Infrastructure is what keeps us together, what keeps us connected, what allows things to run as efficiently as they can. Infrastructure is the heartbeat of this country. We do not engage and cannot engage effectively in interstate commerce, or in any real activity at all, if we do not have infrastructure, if we do not have a strong infrastructure. And what we have seen now over the last 40 years has been a decimation of infrastructure. And that's administratively as well as through the actual bridges and tunnels and things. And I want to say that this really began with Ronald Reagan in 1981 when he took office and was giving us these very, very dire uh, things about the government, very negative attacks on the government. While government is not the solution, it's part of the problem. These are the kinds of things that Ronald Reagan, the Republican president, would be saying and did say. And one of his most infamous lines apart from that was I, the 11 worst words in a dictionary are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I don't know if that's quite 11 words if I said that exactly, but that is essentially that's what he said. And so he made it very clear that he was an anti-government person and he behaved like that. His administration over the eight years, those two terms that he was in took an axe to a lot of government things, a lot of programs that helped people. He attacked the social safety net. He chipped away at social security. He fired air traffic controllers and started to engage in union busting. It had a very corrosive effect all over the country. Workers who had no line of defense against their imperialist bosses, if you will, um, were now out on the picket lines and many of them in the auto workers industry in the, like I said, in the airline workers industry and in other industries as Reaganism and Reaganomics took hold where the so-called trickle-down economics just, you know, give us guys at the top all the money and all the control, deregulate the markets and the effect of that would be that everything that we make up here just sitting around and making money off of trading and all this kind of thing will trickle down to the 99% of you in the country. and You will reap the benefits of the billions of dollars that we make. And so there was this culture of greed is good, you know. Um, the exact quote from the film Wall Street by Oliver Stone, which of course starred Michael Douglas as Gordon Gekko, was greed, for lack of a better word, is good. But the reality is greed, for lack of a better word, sucked. And it sucked the lifeblood out of the average person here in America working for his or her pay on a daily basis, the working stiff. And I find it interesting because just six years later, Michael Douglas played a character in a film called Falling Down, where he was very angry at the world. And he was angry at what the society had done. And so it's very interesting the choices that Michael Douglas as an actor made in that six year period where he played this, you know, just nasty, vicious capitalist who screwed people over in the surface, in the service of himself, a real sociopathic character who, um, kind of was the forerunner to, uh, Patrick Bateman from American cycle. Although American cycle was written around the time or just before that character, Gordon Gecko, even existed. Um, But I just find it interesting that Michael Douglas made a choice a few years later to play this very aggrieved white man who had just kind of attacked the establishment and declared, at least one character in that film, declared that he was not economically viable. And I found that to be interesting. I think it was Von de Curtis Hall, actually, that played that character, if you remember. But all of this is to say that Reaganomics and Reaganism really marked the birth of the destruction of infrastructure in this country where government agencies were stripped. You know, all of these kinds of things that would help people were being cut back on. Unions were beginning to become more and more scarce. The Fairness Doctrine through the FCC, which allowed um, equal time and uh, gave all of those kinds of things to both or most multiple sides of political argument, that was all cut off and and abolished and ended deregulation grew. And it grew also under Clinton, by the way, the democratic president and these neoliberal policies, this neoliberalism, which said, open up the markets, give everybody in the markets control because they knew best this kind of Milton Friedman free market economics that destroyed, um, I think decimated this country, quite frankly, versus the John Maynard Keynes model which said that we had to be cooperative economic people, and we needed to be cooperative capitalists, we needed to be in this together so that the greatest good would be that the wealth is shared among us all to make us all a better society, a better, more prosperous place, and that's how capitalism was at its best. Milton Friedman said the opposite isn't it? no, you know the innovators and the free and the free market thinkers were the people who galvanized. The country and were to be exalted and given the greatest latitude, and that's why the markets needed to be deregulated. Well, all of this pointed and all of this was about decimating infrastructure. You had Grover Norquist talking about shrinking government to the size of a bathtub, excuse me, um, shrinking government to the size that it could fit into the bathtub or in a toilet and flushing it down. And this was a guy who believed in no taxes on the rich. And Grover Norquist is still around. And he's maybe softened his stance a little bit, but not very much. But my point is, is that infrastructure suffered as a result of these kinds of policies. And I would say that the greatest time in America where infrastructure was at its height was back in the 1950s after World War II had been ended Eisenhower came in and he launched the national interstate, the roads and tunnels and bridges. The national interstate system was something that Eisenhower did. And within years, you had all of these great roads and highways all across the country, all these interstates that were built, strengthened and enhanced brought us together, it was a way that we could smoothly travel from state to state, it was done really efficiently, and there you had infrastructure, there you had the building blocks, and it worked really smoothly. And so you had a speed limit, you had all these kinds of things that were put into play, and I think the bridges and tunnels were just working the way they should. It was one of the great moments of Eisenhower's presidency, from 1953 when he took office through 1961 uh, in January of that year when he left office with that famous speech about the military industrial complex that's all i think most of us now remember about I- uh, eisenhower you know so eisenhower did some good things he did some not so good things as well but he certainly one of his great things was the building of the interstate highway system throughout the land throughout the United States and that's a key part of infrastructure that was essential to infrastructure in this country and what you now see are bridges and tunnels in various states and roads that are in states of disrepair there's all kinds of things that are going on that need to be repaired and a lot of this is because funding has been cut from these very essential things we've seen this with amtrak the uh, railway service that has had a lot of problems infrastructure wise the the spending has been cut from it governors have also cut back and as a result we've seen these accidents on trains on amtrak over the last god knows how many years we've seen it there was a spate of them a few short years ago and there, what year goes by when we don't hear about either Amtrak or some system of rail, which is pretty much Amtrak is pretty much the biggest one where there are these derailments or these accidents or these fatalities, and so that's all part of infrastructure, and the money that we are not spending that the federal government is not spending to fix the rails to build better trains to fill to build faster, more efficient trains you've got trains in Japan that basically travel at the speed of light, you know? You've got trains in Spain that I've been on that are smooth, you can't hear anything, it's so smooth, the ride is incredible. Traveling at, you know, 100 miles an hour or whatever in Germany, I mean, there's a number of places in Europe where the trains are just incredible. Even in the UK, and the trains aren't uh, perfect there by a long stretch, but you have the Eurostar train that runs so efficiently and runs smoothly, pretty smoothly. You know, it's it's pretty darn good. But the, here in the US, we do not have an efficient infrastructure. Now we do not have an efficient train service uh, that's smooth, that runs that that is comfortable. You know, it, it creaks. It's not on time. The rails and the tracks are not good. It's a very flimsy infrastructure. And when you remove monies from these things that are public services that get people from place A to place B. Yeah, when you take money out of there and you put it in military spending or you put it in tax cuts like Reagan did. Tax cuts for the rich instead of taxes on them to produce revenue so that you can put more spending on infrastructure, yeah, then you're going to have an infrastructure that is flimsy. We've seen this with so many things. There have been collapses of bridges and tunnels, collapses of bridges in Minnesota. You remember, perhaps, a few short years ago, there was a collapse of a bridge in Minnesota and people died, people were killed. There were collapses of... Collapses of roadway in other places and people died in this country. And so that's really the issue. The infrastructure has been decimated by a lot of these policies from Republican Ronald Reagan onwards and also particularly including in that is the Democratic President Bill Clinton who did a lot of deregulation when he came in in the early 1990s. Deregulated media, deregulated all kinds of things, signed a welfare bill that attacked black families. That's infrastructure. When you don't have the kinds of resources that you need as a family to keep afloat, especially if you're poor or working, poor or working class, it presents another burden. And as a result, the infrastructure of family gets destroyed, as it did for a number of black, black families in that category of not earning very much money. And it created a whole another subclass of people going to prison. And then those measures on people who committed crimes was another thing that was a byproduct of all of this cutting of infrastructure, cutting the very lifeblood of services and systems that people needed to move forward in society and not only just survive and subsist but thrive so infrastructure is very very important and there are many other instances that I could even get into about how infrastructure has been eroded and how now the lack of it is really hurting us I can go to Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 George W. Bush and the slow response of FEMA back then putting some guy who was the head of the Arabian Horse Association or whatever the horse racing association was never a good idea. Remember, Brownie, you're doing a hell of a job. but You remember that. When Michael Brown was a guy that was the president of, again, the Arabian or Saudi Arabian Horse Racing Association or something. That was the guy running FEMA, and he was doing a terrible job. And then you had the governor, the Democratic governor, I might add, of Louisiana at the time, Kathleen Blanco, who was, I think, quite slow to respond as well, to a degree. She had some blame in this too. And a lot of people died. Infrastructure, when you don't have the infrastructure, and then those families didn't want to leave their homes. And again, when you have Reaganomics, you have all these things that help to make things worse for people. They were put in a difficult position, these families, because it was too dangerous to leave at the point at which they stalled. And then the infrastructure in New Orleans was shaky as well. And money was taken out of Building New Orleans up and fortifying it against hurricanes. And so these kinds of decisions by either state, local, or the federal government had very, very consequential effects. And now look at what we are doing with this pandemic. There were advanced warnings. You had Mike Pompeo shipping out nearly 18 tons of personal protective equipment or PPE to China back in February of this year. And as a result, you know, a lot of that PPE, and I've talked about this before, had masks on it, had ventilators, 18 tons. And you've got someone in the White House talking about, well, New York doesn't need 40,000 to 30,000 ventilators. Well, I think that the supply that China has now shipped back because China's rates have kind of leveled off at this point and they don't really have any more new cases. I think that the very shipment to China that they are now shipping back to you and actually selling back to you, I might add, is something now that we do need. And had the present administration, the Trump administration decided to ship only say half of that much to China and maybe, or or even a quarter of it, and maybe have some of that supply ready for us here in the United States, I think we would be in a better position right now vis-a-vis this pandemic than we presently are. And that's something I think that we should all keep in mind. China is now sending back the shipments that we shipped to them, that Mike Pompeo's State Department shipped to them. And not only that, as I said, they are selling it back to us, our own product, or at least our own shipments. I mean, the United States now doesn't make anything anymore. You know, Reagan's policies destroyed the auto workers' unions. And I mean, there's still auto workers but and their unions are still there but it's not the same these uh, policies in these states governors like Rick Snyder who has who killed Michigan and of course poisoned flint and surrounding areas of flint when that water crisis happened infrastructure is all about infrastructure infrastructure is a vital thing and Rick Snyder is no longer in office He was a Republican governor in Michigan and all big business was taken care of at the expense of the average person in Michigan. These are very important things that we are now seeing again come back to haunt the American public. The decision by Donald Trump to fire President Obama's task force pandemic response team really looms large now. And despite all the warnings, despite all the advice that he was getting from Obama's team back in early 2017 that you really need to be prepared for a pandemic. Here's our report on this. Here's our recommendations. You really need to get on this. Trump shook his head and, and said, yeah, you know, I'm not interested in this. At least that's how he behaved. And there were several other times he was told. Even before this year that a pandemic was going to be coming. There were exercises done by a team that was built up by. It's incredible that he's, he's not even there anymore. Mick Mulvaney, the guy at the heart of the Ukraine situation. And he had a team uh, do things as well. War game exercises. A report was produced by people around him, or at least before him. And the same thing. Trump didn't read it, didn't want to do anything about it. There was a Johns Hopkins exercise that dealt with pandemic response. I don't know if Trump looked at it, I doubt it, but that was also furnished, I believe, to his White House. And no response there. This is October of last year. Then in December, China informs him. No response there. He plays it down in an interview the following uh, month. Even as the first case came into the United States. And of course, he then later called it a hoax, a democratic hoax. And you know, the rest is history. Now, finally, this week, he is changing his tune. As the numbers continue to cascade upward. Upward. But I think it's a little bit too late for that now. That is the cost of what happens when you make decisions. Whether you are a Republican like Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump or Rick Snyder. Or whether you are a neoliberalist thinker and democratic centrist like Bill Clinton. Decisions that will really shape generations in terms of resources and access to things, things running properly, not having all of this homelessness that could be readily avoided. If you took this money that you are spending on military and spending on tax cuts and instead provide homes and housing to people, who are homeless and that state governments do the same and city city governments do the same so that you have a better society, so that you do have a society that thrives under that model of John Maynard Keynes, so that you do give the average worker infrastructure packaging that helps their own personal life so that you don't have a $2 trillion bailout in which 25% of it goes to bailing out corporations whose bad behavior has not changed at all since their last bailout in 2008. This is what infrastructure is all about and this is what not cutting it is all about or rather destroying it in the case of Reagan is all about and it doesn't get destroyed overnight. It happens brick by brick and Reagan was the real... Real um, architect of it and his policies have been a constant throughout it in this 40 year spiral what we need to do now is tilt the balance back to 1950 in fact to FDR's day before that we had a Marshall plan for Europe we need a Marshall plan here in the USA We really do. We need another new deal, a second new deal. I've talked about this before in a prior episode. You can look it up um, of this Politocrat podcast where I've talked about needing a new deal, a second, second new deal that reinvigorated the American public and workers and the economy. And we're going to need that now again after this package. And they are um, in Congress working on another package, which probably will be avail- Will probably come about in May, or sometime in mid-May, because with all these job numbers now, jobless numbers, um, this country is going to need quite a few of these packages, and they're going to have to be stepped up beyond the what 150 million for 150 billion for the states and 250 billion dollars of unemployment insurance, it's going to have to be ramped up some more because infrastructure is also a reason why you're getting millions upon millions of people jamming websites all over the country. And that's because, again, there had been cuts to a lot of these state unemployment areas. So people who would be taking in, would be doing intake of claims have been cut. This has been happening all over the country. And then when people's hours are cut and websites aren't functioning or there's something else going on where people are flooding websites and phone lines, it's very difficult for the average person to get through. And to the point now that people are being hired all over the country now, there's a call going out from what I've read, and I forget where I read this, where they are hiring people to man unemployment websites and phone lines so that they can take and deal with this crush of callers who are claiming benefits now what FDR did back in his day was hire people hire millions of Americans put them back to work after the Great Depression the Republican Depression of the 1920s and 30s And we're going to be seeing what is obviously a Republican depression of 2020 and and under Trump. And to think that I tweeted a few weeks ago that I think that this is going to be a great depression. And I'm sorry to have to tweet this. It's what I said in a a tweet that I did at the Popcorn R-E-E-L on Twitter. And that was a couple of weeks ago now, maybe even three. And sadly, I am being proved right so what we need is to get people back to work, and we need a much more substantial package than this. And by the way, we need to eliminate these provisions in these packages for these corporations who approved anything but responsible. They have been very irresponsible. When you've got people like AIG, who in the last bailout back in 2018, 2008, excuse me, was spending money on parties, on sex parties, and things of that nature, and not doing anything with that money that was stimulating the economy that was supposedly saving their flailing, supposedly flailing business. Well, this is the effect. This is what happens. So infrastructure is very, very important. And it affects every aspect of our lives here in the United States or in any country. The infrastructures of Denmark and Germany are much more stable, despite the fact that Germany had been in a recession. But they still have a strong union culture in Germany. They still have a strong industrial culture in Germany to to a large degree. And by the way, their rates of this virus are much lower relative to their population Than in many other places. Certainly vis-a-vis this country. And certainly vis-a-vis Germany. And also, excuse me, certainly vis-a-vis Italy and Spain. And what you will find in each of the countries I've mentioned. Except for Germany. Is that there's been a right wing authoritarian slash autocratic type figure in those governments. And that has certainly affected the way decisions have been made. Things have been run. Whereas in Germany, you've got a centrist. She's She is a bit, uh, I would say she's more conservative, but she's a centrist. Angela Merkel, I'm speaking of the Chancellor of Germany. So her party, I think, is more conservative, but she's a centrist in that party. So. She's, you know, I, I mean, I have the exact political affiliation, but she is uh, a more a moderate, more moderate figure for the most part. And her leadership has been stellar. And as a result, you're seeing Germany testing more than 100,000 people a day for this virus, more than 100,000 a day. In South Korea, they've been doing something like that as well. And their numbers have dramatically gone down. But in the UK, they're trying to ramp up to 25,000 a day. They are way behind the curve. And Brexit has not been helpful. This go-it-alone strategy has not been helpful. Just like it's not been helpful here when Trump said to the WHO, World Health Organization, eh, no, no. I'm not interested in your stinking test kits. We're going to make our own. The American way. And we see what the American way has brought us with this pandemic. And of course, Trump sitting on his backside. Is that the American way? You know, I was talking about this infrastructure and in the last segment I was talking about how it has really come back to bite us here in the United States. And with this pandemic, it has, it really, truly has. And as a result, we are where we are at the moment and we're way behind even the UK, as it turns out. We're not even testing in most of this country, more than 2,000 people a day. New York City is, New York City is testing something like, I don't know, 15,000 people a day, maybe more than that. They've been ramping up for the last two weeks now. New York City has been testing more than 5,000 people a day and that number has gone up as well, which is why you're seeing these Rising numbers. It's not necessarily because the virus is continuing to spread like wildfire, although in a lot of areas of the country now it is. It's because the testing is now identifying the people who have it and the people who don't. Those same people have been in the population two weeks ago versus now, or in some cases have not been. There have been a lot of lives lost. But New York, at least, is gaining a a handle on this because the testing has come in, because they have ramped up, because there has been places where private companies have come in and helped out. The situation for doctors and nurses, however, is still very dire. There have been reports about this in the media. Doctors talking about really doing the impossible amidst such harrowing circumstances to say the least and when governments even Cuomo's government, Andrew Cuomo makes a decision to chip away at Medicare and chip away at Medicaid in the state of New York and spending on it and cutting spending that's a key thing that's a really key thing That's part of infrastructure. You know, that doesn't get talked about with Andrew Cuomo because he's now seen as a darling because of his leadership. And yes, he's done a good job, but we have to look at all of the realities of what infrastructure does and how the poorest and how people who are working class fare in all of this before these events happen. I mean, before these events happened, people were in tough shape. And now it takes a pandemic or a hurricane or some storm, or some kind of disaster, to really bring these things to the fore. And in California here, testing has been incredibly low. Gavin Newsom, the governor, has not been very specific, I don't think, as specific as he should be, about testing. And we need to know what the numbers are. I do know, according to an article in The Atlantic, that California's backlog of testing, backlog, has been incredibly it's been terrible quest diagnostics a company that has its issues is conducting these tests so this corporation is doing this and the testing is lagging and people are waiting 10 days two weeks or even longer to get the results of their tests back so they're in california now in the state that i am in here California, we now have at least 57,400 tests that have been done, but the results have not come back yet. And these tests have been done, not just yesterday or the day before. These tests have been done a week ago, two weeks ago. And there's a backlog. And that's really problematic for many reasons. And that's according to an article in The Atlantic. So California, we are are going to be in for a rude awakening here when we get the real numbers. Now, I think the, and I'm not going to give out the numbers of cases, but the numbers that have been given for California that I've seen on the John Hopkins website that talks about this, and you can look this up. These numbers are really low in terms of the number of cases and also the number of people Who have passed away from this virus. But be prepared over the next two weeks even longer. And as we get to the peak of this whole thing. Those numbers in California are going to be very high. Very high. And Gavin Newsom will have to get on top of this. So that is the challenge and that's what infrastructure does. When we don't have the tools and when you act late, Donald Trump, and sit on your hands for nearly three months and reject WHO test kits, which would have been coming to you at a lower cost than what you're doing now. And then you've got China selling back your equipment to you. You are really sowing the seeds of destroying the administrative state which is what you've already done, you and your racist pal, Steve Bannon. And we see the fruits of that now, and those fruits are very rotten indeed. Please stay safe, everyone. And if you have a home or a shelter, please make sure you stay indoors. This is the time to take heed once and for all. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm Omar Moore. This has been The Politocrat.